Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Avropya Girim Skandat Suparna Patatambara Yayo Jalanta Utsrija Harinasa Visarjitaha. Thereafter, Garuda, the king of birds, unlo- unloaded Mandara mountain from his shoulder and brought it near the watcher. Then he was asked by the Lord to leave that place, and he left. <coughs> purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Garuda was asked by the Lord to leave that place because the snake Vashuki, who was to be used as the rope for churning, <clears throat> could not go there in the presence of Garuda. Garuda, the carrier of Lord Vishnu, is not a vegetarian. He eats big snakes. Vasuki, being a great snake, would be natural food for Garuda, the chief of birds. Lord Vishnu therefore asked Garuda to leave so that Vasuki could be brought to churn the ocean with Mandara mountain, which was to be used as the churning rod. These are the wonderful arrangements of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Nothing takes place by accident. Carrying Mandara Mountain on the back of a bird and putting it in its right position might be difficult for anyone, whether demigod or demon, but for the Supreme Personality of Godhead, everything is possible, as shown by this pastime. The Lord had no difficulty lifting the mountain with one hand, and Garuda, his carrier, carried all the demons and demigods together by the grace of the Supreme Lord. The Lord is known as Yogeshwar, the master of all mystic power. Because of his omnipotence, if he likes, he can make anything lighter than cotton or heavier than the universe. Those who do not believe in the activities of the Lord cannot explain how things happen. Using words like accident, they take shelter of ideas that are unbelievable. Nothing is accidental. Everything is done by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, as the Lord Himself confirms in Bhagavad Gita, Mayadhyaksena Prakriti Suyate Sacharacharam. Whatever actions and reactions occur within the cosmic manifestation all take place under the superintendence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. However, because the demons do not understand the potency of the Lord, when wonderful things are done, the demons think that they are accidental. Thus then the Bhaktivedanta purports of the 8th canto, 6th chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled, The Demigods and Demons Declare a Truce. Translation. Thereafter, Garuda, the chief of birds, unloaded Mandara mountain from his shoulder and brought it near the water. Then he was asked by the Lord to leave that place, and he left. 
Whatever one's natural occupational duties may be within the Varnashram system, if one dovetails his propensities for the pleasure of Krishna, that is the perfection of life. Everyone according to their guna and karma, chaturvana mayastrista guna karma vibhagasa, has natural inclinations. Krishna tells Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita that if you try to suppress or repress your nature, that is not what is necessarily desired. But we should dovetail our natural propensities in the loving service of the Lord. Here we are reading of the great bird carrier, Garuda. <clears throat> of course, Garuda is not in any way under the influence of the modes of material nature, nor is he in any way subject to the laws of karma. In fact, it was Garuda who spent long, long years at Badrigashram performing severe tapasya in order to gain the great benediction of being the intimate and personal servant of Lord Narayan. He is the bird carrier. You see, in the celestial worlds, each of the demigods has a particular carrier. But we find that none of their carriers are like the carriers of this world in the 20th century. Today we have airplanes, we have railways, automobiles, bicycles. They are all yantras, just impersonal machines. But the demigods, when they have carrier, they give the opportunity or the facility for one of their devotees to be allowed such a wonderful and intimate service. Because the devotees are always wanting to render intimate service. And what more intimate service on that level is there than taking one's worshipable deity from place to place on one's very back. It's a very menial service. So we find that Lord Ganapati, he rides upon a mouse. And Lord Kartikeya, he rides upon a peacock. Lord Brahma rides upon a swan. Lord Shankar rides upon Nandeshwar, a bull. And Lord Narayan, the Supreme Personality of Godhead rides upon the great eagle carrier Garuda. In this way, the Lord is fulfilling the desires of his devotees by accepting 
this form of service. Ultimately, Lord Narayan does not need a bird carrier. Lord Narayan can transfer himself from one place to another instantly, faster than the speed of mind. If he desires to be in a certain place, he will be there because he has achinti shakti, he has inconceivable potencies. He could also fly himself faster than the speed of mind. But in order to accept this loving exchange of his devotee Garuda, he is allowing him by his causeless mercy to be his carrier. You see, a devotee never thinks that the Lord needs me. The Lord needs nothing. The Lord is perfect and complete in himself. Om Purnam Ada Purnam Idam Purnat Purnam Udachyate Purnasya Purnam Adaya Purnam Evavashishyate Does the Lord, who is perfect and complete, the Absolute Truth, require our help for anything? But because he is a divine person, he is the supreme person, and his personality is a more inclusive realization than his impersonal, all-pervading feature. Therefore, in this personal form, he finds his greatest bliss or ananda in loving exchanges with his expansions, his parts and parcels, the living entities. Anandamayobhyashat, every living being is pleasure-seeking. There is no spirit soul in any body that is not constantly looking for pleasure. According to the modes of material nature that we are uh, being directed by, we are seeking pleasure in different ways, but everyone is seeking pleasure from Lord Brahma down to the insignificant insect. Why is this? Because we are part of Krishna, who is Satchit Ananda, who is eternal, full of knowledge and full of pleasure. And because Krishna is always seeking pleasure, Therefore, we are always seeking pleasure because we, have, we are qualitatively one with him. But when Sri Krishna seeks pleasure, because he is perfect and complete, he need not seek pleasure outside of himself. Therefore, he expands himself as Srimati Radharani, and he seeks pleasure in himself through his most uh, munificent expansion. Sri Radhika. And the loving exchange between Sri Sri Radha Krishna is the supreme manifestation of the Lord's Ananda, Satchit Ananda. Because it is here that both Radha and Krishna, the supreme lover and the supreme beloved, are eternally thirsting unlimitedly for pleasure for one and from one another. And this loving exchange is the divine leela of the spiritual world. And all the parts and parcels, their supreme pleasure is simply 
in assisting Krishna in having pleasure with himself through Sri Radharani in the spiritual world. Therefore, we find in Goloka Vrindavan that all the residents are simply immersed in, in giving their hearts to helping Radha and Krishna enjoy together. And that is the greatest pleasure of the soul. Those who desire to approach Krishna directly, they are said to have a very distant relationship with Krishna. Sometimes we read of great poets or great song writers, even many sadhus and saints, who sing about their own direct relationship with Sri Krishna. Certainly they may be on the, a very high transcendental platform, but they have a distant relationship with Krishna in comparison to the residents of Vrindavan. Just like if you look at Mount Everest from a great distance away, it appears that there is only one mountain, and it appears that you are simply looking at one mountain. But when you come closer, you find that it is not just one mountain, that there is one peak, but around it are so many other peaks with so many other mountains connected to it. And the closer you become, you see how many more mountains there actually are that are inseparable from Mount Everest. And you have to approach Mount Everest through those other lesser peaks. So similarly, when we have a distant relationship from Krishna, we are thinking it is just Krishna and myself. But when we come closer to Krishna, when we come com closer to the conception of Goloka Vrindavan, then we see that along with Krishna, Srimati Radharani, and along with Srimati Radharani are the eight Sakis, and along with the eight Sakis are the many, many Manjaris and Gopis. And they are all constantly engaged in the loving service of the Lord. And the only pleasurable condition of the soul is to simply be the assistant of the assistance of the assistance of the gopis and Sri Radhika in, his, in giving pleasure to Sri Krishna. That is the highest conception, the highest perception of the absolute truth. So we are all seeking pleasure because we are all part of the supreme pleasure seekers, Radha and Krishna. And the devotee seeks pleasure only in that. So therefore the Lord, his greatest pleasure is reciprocating with his various devotees and his devotee's greatest pleasure is reciprocating with the Lord. So therefore, Krishna does not need anything, but he appears to be in need simply to give the opportunity of loving exchange. Krishna does not need to be fed, but yet he appears to need to be fed to give Mother Yashoda the opportunity to express her love through feeding him. Similarly, Krishna does not need to be protected, but yet Nanda Maharaj is thinking that I am protecting him. Krishna does not need knowledge, but yet he goes to the ashram of Sandipani Muni to learn 
the Vedas, although he is the author of the Vedas. Krishna does not need alms. He does not need anything, but he wants that love of his devotees. So therefore, the great carrier Garuda is given this most wonderful and special service by the grace of Sri Hari. And being a bird in that particular body, eagle, he is naturally inclined toward eating serpents. As Srila Prabhupada explains in the purport, he is not a vegetarian. Now, for you or for me to eat serpents or any form of meat products is extremely sinful. Why? Because the quota for human beings by the law of God is vegetarian food, which is ultimately meant to be offered to Krishna, prasadam. Whereas even Garuda, although he may be a very, very great servant of the Lord, it is not, there is no need for him to be a vegetarian. It is his quota. So he can be a perfect servant of the Lord and still eat serpents. Because he's dovetailing his natural propensities in the service of the Lord. So therefore there's nothing sinful. Jiva, jiva, sajivanam. One, one person's food is, one person's existence is meant for the subsistence of another person's existence. It's like we are eating vegetables. We are also killing. But because it is our quota, if we offer them to Krishna, there is no karmic reaction. So for Garuda, although he's a very, very great servant of the Lord, for him to eat snakes, it's his quota. Our conception of what is sinful and what is not sinful is not material. Our conception is whatever is the arrangement of the Lord, to go against that arrangement, that is sinful. There are certain pacifists who would say that Arjuna was sinful by fighting that war. I have met some priests of other religions. There is one religion, it is called, in America, they are called the Quakers. They're very, very devout. They're one of the original Christian sects that came to America. And many of them, they are total pacifists. They believe that under no condition ever should violence take place. And they really, to the extent they follow this concept of ahimsa. So, I was at one time giving some lectures at Unitarian Church in a place called Ironton, Ohio. And I was invited to have a meeting with one Quaker minister. 
and he had many, many disciples with him. So I was sitting there, and I was with one other devotee, and he was very straightforward, right in front of all of his disciples. He said, I cannot accept the Krishna Consciousness Movement as being an authorized religion. The reason is because you follow Bhagavad Gita, and in Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna is impelling Arjuna to fight, to kill, and to be violent. And under no circumstances do we believe that violence is ever to be used. And then he was explaining to me how during the Vietnam War, just to show how much against war they are, even though they were living in America, they, were, they spent tens and thousands of dollars sending a huge, huge ship with food, clothes, and other provisions to the Viet Cong, who are the enemy troops against America. Just to make a statement to the world of how much they're against war, how much they're against violence. He said, under no circumstance ever should one ever resort to violence. And if Krishna is trying to convince someone to be violent, and kill. Therefore, we cannot accept his authority, nor can we accept his words. Therefore, we don't accept Bhagavad Gita. And if your movement is based in Gita, we have to reject you as a bona fide religion. So we explained to him what a chatri is. Chatriya in Sanskrit means one who protects from, uh, the innocent persons from pain. Arjuna was not an aggressor. He was not greedy. He was a protector. He was protecting dharma. He was protecting people from the greater pain of irreligion. And I explained how Lord Krishna in so many ways tried to resolve this conflict between the Kurus and Pandavas peacefully. But when there was no other alternative, violence was required to create peace and nonviolence. Now, one of his disciples was a young girl. Actually, out of about 25, 25 were young girls. So I told him that if I were to, if my friend were to attack this girl disciple of yours, to violently have sex with her. And the only way you can stop it is by physically controlling this person. Would you do it or would you not do it? If you had to fight with this man to stop him from violating the chastity of your disciple, would you do it or not do it? He said, I would not do it. I would never, ever, ever break my vow of nonviolence. And his own disciple looked at him. You would just stand there and watch this person rape me? You would not do anything to help? What kind of a person are you? His own disciple said that to him. And he looked at her and he said, we have a very, very high standard of conviction that never, ever is violence to be used. And she looked at him, and she herself said, 
that would be the greatest violence to just allow me to be raped. It would be nonviolent to, to, to fight this man and stop him. And everybody in the room looked at him like he was crazy, his own followers. And then we explained that sometimes so-called nonviolence is violence. If you stand by and allow violence to take place, that is violence. But if you have to fight to stop violence, to protect an innocent person, to protect the principles of religion, that is the true sense of ahimsa. Bhagavad Gita is teaching the highest standard of ahimsa or nonviolence. So we have to understand that ultimately himsa and ahimsa are not simply based on mundane conditions of morality, but they are based on the will of God, the arrangement of the Lord. Krishna's arrangement was that Arjuna was to fight, therefore his fighting was nonviolence on the highest level. So we do not judge things on the basis of our conditioned conception of what is right and what is wrong. We have to evaluate everything by how the sweet will of the Lord has arranged. Acharyopashanam. One who hears from the Acharya knows things as they are. One who does not hear from an Acharya has to constantly speculate, even on the words of the Vedas, to try to figure out what is being said, what is being meant. So this is the great, great danger. Mental speculation. To try to observe, according to our own conditioned perception of reality, what is right, what is wrong. We must see everything according to the words of God. Therefore, it is said, a devotee does not see with his eyes. A devotee sees through his ears. He evaluates everything he perceives in this world according to what he has heard from Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra. And he has to perceive reality accordingly. We are not the authorities. We have to become the humble servants. We have to inquire submissively in order to understand things as they are. So this is a very, very great teaching of Srimad Bhagavatam in Bhagavad Gita. Garuda, in his munificent service to the Lord, he was able, by the grace of Narayan, to carry the Mandara mountain. Try to understand how the Lord is empowering him. All the demigods, millions of them, and all the most powerful asuras, millions of them, together in a joint effort could not lift this mountain. Huh? And Lord Narayan, he lifted the mountain with one hand effortlessly. But what's more remarkable than that is Garuda is his servant. For the Lord to lift the mountain, we understand that is very great. 
But it's natural. God can do anything. But Garuda is not God. Garuda is the humble servant of the Lord. Like you and me, we are all striving to be humble servants. Garuda has strived to be a humble servant. He performed this tapasya at Badrigashram to be a humble servant. And see even a greater miracle than lifting the mountain himself is he placed the mountain on his servant's back, Garuda. And then he had all the millions of demons and demigods get on the back of Garuda along with the mountain. And Garuda effortlessly flew through the skies and brought that mountain and all the demigods and all the demons on his own back along with Narayan himself to the ocean of milk. The Lord takes greater pleasure in empowering his devotees to do wonderful things than when he does things himself. In Bhagavad Gita, Krishna, if he wanted to, within a second, in the 11th chapter, he reveals his universal form. He shows Arjuna that with my fiery mouths, I can, dev I will, I can devour, this, devour the Kuru army within a second, within a moment, a twelfth of a second. But Arjuna, I, I will take greater pleasure if you do it, if the world can see your glory. If the world can see that out of my love for my devotee, I will empower him. So because Garuda was empowered by the divine mercy of the Lord, he was able to do even greater than what the Lord had done. The Lord just picked up the mountain. But Garuda not only picked it up, but he flew with it for thousands of miles. Along with millions of demons and demigods. And demons and demigods are not small people like here in India. They're very huge people. Huge, powerful warriors. So this is the glory of Garuda. This is the mercy of the Lord upon his devotees. If we simply surrender to the will of God, we become empowered by God. As long as we have the slightest interest separate from that of the Lord, the Lord will not empower us. Why should he empower us? Empowerment means be to become the vessel of God. To become the vessel, we have to have nothing else in our hearts, nothing else in our minds, except the desire to serve. As long as we have any separate interests from the will of God, we, we are not allowing him to utilize us to be his empowered representative in this world. But when we are willing to do anything for this purpose, then, then Krishna can empower us. Try to understand that Garuda, in his previous birth, he had no desire to be a non-vegetarian, pure soul. But in order to accept the position of the bird carrier of Vishnu, 
He even had to be a non-vegetarian, right? He didn't want to do that. It was a, it, 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 from one point of view, it's a lesser level of consciousness than being a vegetarian, is it not? But if that's the position the Lord wants me to be in to best serve him, then I'll eat snakes. Then I'll take a body that likes to eat snakes. Ah, and people will even criticize. Ah, just see, he's eating snakes. But the great souls, they don't criticize. They see that he's willing to accept this position because that's how he could best serve the mission of the Lord. Lord Brahma accepted the position of chasing his own daughter for sex life. Vak. Why? Because the Lord wanted to show the world something through this example. How dangerous this sex attraction is, whoever you are. So Lord Brahma accepted the most humiliating position possible. His own sons were, were chastising him. Brahma, what are you doing, Father? You're chasing your own daughter, our own sister. Everywhere. And they didn't know what to do. But try to understand, it wasn't that Brahma was simply lusty like, like an ordinary man. It was the Lord himself who put that comma within Brahma's heart. He was simply being used as an instrument, and Brahma was, being, was willing to be used as an instrument. If you want to make me a complete humiliation before my, even my own children, my dear Lord, if that's what it takes to serve you, if that's how I can best serve your mission, I don't have any separate interest. Brahma's a pure devotee. Can you imagine the extent of that surrender? Similarly, Garuda He's willing to accept what ordinarily amongst Vaishnava is a second-class position. Not a second-class, a last-class position, eating non-vegetarian food. But because Vishnu wanted his carrier to be an eagle, he was willing to accept it. My Lord, whatever I have to do, whatever you want, I am not concerned. My concern is how can I best serve you? If I can best serve you in an eagle's body, then I'll eat snakes. <laughs> huh? Even human beings, I mean, of all animals to eat, snakes, even the lowest class, they don't like snakes. But Garuda was willing to take that position if that's the position he had to take to serve the Lord. So Garuda, what an exalted position. And because he has no separate interest, he is not concerned with his own pride, his own prestige. After all, Garuda is fully learned in all transcendental knowledge. From his wings, the Samaveda, the song of the Samaveda is being sung. Did you know that? When he flaps his wings, the sound is, this, is the hymns of the Samaveda. So he's very expert in the sciences. So he could have desired, well, why, why? I know the Vedas. I'm not just an ordinary bird. I can be a vegetarian and everyone will think, ah, just see what a special bird I am, a vegetarian. All the saints would really glorify me. 
Krishna wants me to be an eagle the way he wants me to be an eagle. And he wants me to have these natural propensities and express them. It wasn't his uncontrolled senses. He understood it was the will of the Lord. And because he was completely sold out in every respect to simply be an instrument in the hands of his, the Lord of his life, therefore, just see how the Lord is empowering him. The Lord is empowering him to do seva, to do service far beyond even what the Lord himself manifested in this leela. So do we want to be empowered by, the, by our spiritual master? The spiritual master is the representative of God. The mercy of Krishna, the empowerment of Krishna is coming through the guru. So the question is, do we want to really help him? If we really want to help the Guru Maharaj, there's only one way to help him, and that is to be empowered by him. If we are not empowered, how much help can we do? The more we're empowered, the more we can actually do great things for the upliftment of humanity in the service of our spiritual master. That is the Guru's great desire, that we allow him to empower us. And how are we empowered? Only when we have no separate interest. When we're willing to accept any condition, any situation, if it is the divine arrangement of the Lord. This is how we become empowered. We never complain, we never criticize, we never speculate. Prani prasnena sevaya, pari prasnena sevaya. We simply inquire submissively, how can I serve best? And, there, that's, and then we render that service. Tadvidi prani patena, pari prasnena sevaya. One must approach Guru, inquire submissively, and what is, the, what is the ultimate inquiry after all other inquiries? How can I best serve you? That's the first stage, to inquire submissively. How can I best serve you? To say, I would like to serve you like this and I will serve you like this, that is not inquiring submissively. That is also within the realm of devotional service, but it is a lesser stage. One cannot truly be empowered in this Arjuna was saying, Krishna, I want to serve you like that. But then Krishna brought him to the platform of inquiring submissively, which is the real beginning of one's real spiritual life. Krishna, what do you want? How can I best serve you? Guru Maharaj, how can I best serve you? And then to hear and to act to do it, Sevaya. Through this process of surrender, we open our hearts to receive the divine empowerment of the previous acharyas. Through this humble surrender, through accepting the will of God as our will in life, by accepting the will of Guru as our direction in life, no separate interests. Through this process, We invite the Lord within our heart. We invite the spiritual master to accept us 
as his instrument. Saint Francis prayed, O Lord, divine master, make me an instrument of your mercy. This is the prayer of all the great sadhus. Make me an instrument of your mercy. I am not the enjoyer. I am not the knower. Let me be enjoyed and known by you. Let me be an instrument of your mercy so that I can assist you in this great mission of compassion within this world. One who prays to the Lord in this way very soon receives the ultimate blessings of the Lord. We are not concerned with any other position. We simply want to become dear to our spiritual master. Is there any questions?